Uh, Annie Armstrong, an amazing life. No wonder we name our mission offering at Easter after her. Uh, that offering collection is rapidly approaching, as you see in your bulletin. And please be in prayer about your part and your giving in that, uh, realizing that all of the funds go directly to our North American mission, board, uh, mission workers that are doing church planting and involved in missions all over uh, North America. So you pray about your part in that. Uh, I want to invite you this morning to find Hebrews chapter 10. We are going to begin today in a section of Hebrews that begins doing a great deal of application, sort of gathers up a lot of what he has said before about Christ's sacrifice and Christ's high priesthood. Uh, what all does that mean for us? What is the significance of that for us? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning, and we're going to look at the subject matter of privileges and responsibilities, Christian privileges and responsibilities. Uh, I will be reading this morning uh, out of the New International Version. Generally, I read from the ESV. We'll be reading from the NIV uh, this morning. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? Notice the heading, if you're using the NIV, a call to persevere in faith. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God... Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears as Jesus invited the churches in the book of Revelation, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, indeed, I pray today that we would hear what your Spirit is speaking to us through your Word. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. A little throwback to the past, somebody who used to be in the news a great deal, fortunately is not as much anymore. 
Uh, she was born on February 17th, 1981, to Rick and Kathy Hilton. Making her the great-granddaughter of Conrad Hilton, founder of the Hilton Hotels and source of the family fortune. Her grandfather, Conrad Nicky Hilton Jr., as they called him, also brought some notoriety to the family as he was the first of Elizabeth Taylor's many ex-husbands. Who am I speaking of? I'm speaking, of course, of Paris Hilton, who shares the throne as co-heiress of the Hilton Empire along with her sister Nikki. Growing up in Manhattan's ritzy Waldorf Astoria, the family's New York home, as well as homes in Beverly Hills and the Hamptons, Paris is definitely a prime example of privilege. She began to make a name for herself as a model. She and her sister became notorious on, uh, as socialites, gracing party after party and getting press for their wild antics. She also became known for her appearance on the television series The Simple Life and several other minor roles in films. According to Forbes magazine... She earned approximately $2 million in 2003 and 2004. Made her living doing essentially nothing. Uh, $6.5 million in 2004 and 2005 and made $7 million in 2005 to 2006. She once grabbed headlines by shoving ahead of others in a washroom line and then when upbraided for her rudeness, she quipped that she only wanted to look at herself in the mirror. She's certainly a modern day example of a privileged child who has not used her privileges well. In fact, she's acted like a spoiled brat and seems to be wasting her life and wasting her opportunities. Folks, today I want you to see as God's children, we have tremendous privileges. In fact, the Bible says we are joint heirs with Christ. We are a blessed people. Have you ever stopped to consider your blessings? Now, oftentimes when we think of blessings, what do we typically think of? We typically think of material blessings. That seems to be immediately where our minds go to. But we are spiritually blessed as well. What if you lived in some area of the world that did not have a copy of the Bible and knew almost nothing of the gospel and there were no gospel preaching churches in your area? Millions of people in the world live in that exact condition. What if you had no idea of your standing before God if God's even there, does he love you? Does he care about you? Will you be able to know him or be with him when you die? What if you didn't know any of that? Folks, we are blessed spiritually. But out of those blessings, 
come tremendous responsibilities. In fact, Jesus once said, to whom much is given, much is required. Paul said to the Romans that he was a debtor to share the gospel with them. See, out of the privileges that he enjoyed, he understood God's call on his life and the obligation that he had to tell other people about Jesus Christ. Now, folks, as we come to this particular section of the book of Hebrews, we need to gather up in our minds much of what has gone before that's been said about Jesus Christ. Because if we don't, we're going to totally miss the application. The writer has been talking about Christ is better. He's better than anything in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. He's better than Moses. He's better than the law. He's better than the high priest of the Old Covenant. He's better than the angels. On and on he goes. Whatever your mind can think of out of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ is better. He obviously does not want them going back to the temple. Some of them are thinking about doing that very thing. And the reason they want to go back is because they are being persecuted for being Christians. Folks, we don't realize today just how much some of the early Christians coming out of a Jewish background were persecuted because of their faith in Christ. Life was very hard for many of them. And so some of them were wanting to revert back to a more comfortable way of life. But he's telling them if they do go back, they will not find God there. God has spoken to us in these last days through his son. With the arrival of Jesus Christ onto the scene in these last days, God has in fact rendered the old covenant obsolete. And so they need to press on in their faith. Yes, their Christian life can be very difficult, but they need to press on anyway. Now what we're going to see today out of this text is is the great responsibilities that we have in the church today because of the privileges that we have in Jesus Christ. Folks, the Christian life is not all privilege. You have responsibilities. You have responsibilities to God and you have responsibilities to one another. And if you fail to see what your responsibilities are, then you're going to have a very lopsided Christianity. Now all of the responsibilities that he's going to speak of here are are going to be spelled out in this passage by the let us phrase that he uses. Now, I explained to you quite a number of messages ago that this is the hortatory subjunctive which you and I use all the time. You used it this morning probably. Come on, let's get in the car. Let's get going. We're going to be late. Chop, chop. Let's get this house cleaned up now. That's the hortatory subjunctive. Mamas, here's one for you. Tell your family, if you mess with me this week, I'm going to pull out the hortatory subjunctive on you. (laughs) Now let's see how this plays out in the text. 
First of all, I want you to see with me this morning, true life-changing worship is possible. True life-changing worship is possible. Read with me again verses 19 to 22. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Here we have the first, let us. And he's telling us, let us draw near to God. Now folks, we've got to drop all the way down a couple of lines into the passage before we come to the first main point, that main point of let us draw near to God. But that doesn't mean that what has come before is not important. In fact, we can only obey the command here of drawing near because of what he says first. He says, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, in those two phrases, he's doing a tremendous thing. He's essentially gathering up everything that he's just told them in the book about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and about the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It's precisely because of Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross and because of his priesthood that we can, in fact, draw near. Since chapter 7, he's been talking about both of these realities. Christ's death on the cross for our sin was the perfect sin sacrifice that never has to be done over again. Christ's death dealt with sin conclusively one time. We don't need another Calvary. One was enough because of who died there for us. And as our great high priest, he ever lives in the presence of God to make intercession for us. He ever lives because he rose again from the dead. Death no longer has a hold on him. Now folks, I'm talking about things this morning that the people in the Old Testament could have never grasped. They could have never comprehended this. They could have never understood these things that he's talking about. Do you understand how privileged that we are today? The Old Testament saints could not get beyond the fact that that every year they had to offer a new sacrifice for sin on the Day of Atonement. They had to do that because none of their sacrifices were complete. And so they had to continually be done over and over and over again. I'm I'm sure that sometimes it had to seem almost exhausting. Their sin would be covered for another year, but it would not be finally taken away. 
And so those sacrifices for sin that went on and on and on were a reminder to them that they were a sinful people and their sin was keeping them from the presence of God and their sin had to be atoned for. Their sin had to be covered if there was ever going to be any hope for them. And on top of that, they knew that they themselves could not go into the presence of God. A high priest had to do that for them and only he could go one time of year. And these high priests kept dying because they were mere men. And so what the writer is saying here, Jesus Christ has perfectly fulfilled all of that. We don't have to keep bringing sacrifices. We simply look back to what he did for us at Calvary. And we can can go into the presence of God ourselves through Jesus Christ. He's opened the way for us. When he died, that veil in the temple going into the Holy of Holies was torn from from the top down. Not from the bottom up as though a man ripped it, but from the top down because God tore it. The death of Jesus Christ opened the way into the Holy of Holies for anyone who trusts in Christ. Folks, I'm talking about things that for centuries anybody living under the old covenant could not even have conceived of. What he's talking about here probably absolutely boggled their minds. You preach this in the church today and people might give you a collective yawn because it's just so second nature to our knowledge But folks, we don't need to lose sight of what he's saying Christ has accomplished for us. Now this would be the unthinkable thing. I bet to the average Jew, the thought that they could actually draw near to God. The fact that they could actually themselves go into the very holy of holies. Into the very presence of God and commune with God. That that was almost inconceivable to them. And to tell them that now they have that opportunity. I'm sure many of them what they wanted to do was stampede into the Holy of Holies. They couldn't wait. Folks, true worship is possible for you and me right now. Amen? Because of Christ. Jesus said to the woman at the well that the Father desires those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that because of Jesus Christ, you can do that. You can go into the very presence of God and worship God. You can go yourself. You don't have to simply stand outside and wait on a high priest to do this for you. uh, To go into the Holy of Holies in your place. You can go. Jesus Christ is your high priest and he has done the unthinkable. He extends his hand to you and takes hold of your hand and he leads you into the Holy of Holies. He's opened up the way for you to be able to go because of his shed blood. The thing that should make absolutely no sense to anybody today is that we would not Take him up on that. 
The thing that should make absolutely no sense to me whatsoever is that I would get up in the morning, I would get ready, I would leave home, and I would go about my day, and I would finish my day, and I would never go into the presence of God. In light of what Christ has done for me, the the thought that I never avail myself of that, ought to be unthinkable. Folks, when we understand what he's saying here, what he's saying is our privilege, it ought to be the strangest thing, the most unthinkable thing that I would not avail myself of this opportunity to worship God. It would make more sense if you were to take a double amputee, somebody with no legs, and somehow or another give this new amputee new legs, not artificial legs, but if you could give him new real legs, and that double amputee refuses to use them. Folks, that would make more sense than Jesus Christ opening the way into the presence of God. And you not availing yourself of that opportunity. And it's not just a privilege. It is a responsibility. It is a responsibility for the people of God to worship God. Because God is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the God of glory. He deserves our praise and our worship. And so it is our responsibility to give Him what He deserves. And so this week, how are you going to rearrange things in your daily life so that you'll make sure you're going into His presence every day? With the privilege of doing so, you have the responsibility of doing so. Maybe less time spent on social media is needed in your life. Maybe less time in front of the television. Less time in front of the computer. Less time enjoying your hobby. Less time sleeping. Less time wasting time. Whatever adjustment it is that you need to make in your life so you'll go into the presence of God and worship Him, you need to make that adjustment. God deserves my worship. He deserves your worship. He is worthy. True worship, going into the presence of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, will indeed be life-changing. Secondly this morning, I want you to see that bold witness is needed. Bold witness is needed. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 23. He says there, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. You know, circumstances can test us, can't they? Trials and tribulation test us. And trials and tribulation can make us sometimes do what? We can waver. We can swerve. That's what he's talking about here. Let me give you an example of that. What happened when Jesus was arrested? What did the disciples do to a man? They ran, didn't they? They swerved. They wavered. 
You understand what I'm saying? Their whole world was suddenly thrown upside down. They didn't know what to do. Jesus had tried to prepare them for this moment. His preparation was perfect. Their understanding was not perfect. They had failed to take in the gravity of the moment when those guards showed up in the Garden of Gethsemane and arrested Jesus. And so the disciples to a man started running and hiding. And Simon Peter even denied Jesus three times. And so I think swerving or wavering is a good word to describe what happened to those guys. They had been on the straight and narrow, you might say, as long as Christ was with them. But the moment that he was arrested, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what was next. And folks, you and I have the privilege of knowing the outcome of the story. They didn't. And so we can feel sorry for them. We wouldn't have been any different. Let's not kid ourselves. But when finally discovered that the tomb was really empty and that Jesus had been raised from the dead and he was alive and he appeared to them, wow, that made all the difference in the world. Jesus gave them the great commission. Then he told them to go into Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit on them. Once all of that happened, these guys were absolutely transformed. They were different men. Here they had been swerving. They were confused. They were scared. They were running and hiding. They were doubting what to do next. But now they're out in the streets of the city of Jerusalem and they're preaching Jesus Christ and they're challenging the authorities. We might say that they were definitely holding to the faith in an unwavering manner. How could it be that way? Because they had learned, just as he says in this verse, that God is faithful. God is faithful to his promises. He had told them this was going to happen. And now they're seeing with their very own eyes that indeed it has happened. You can take God's promises to the bank, guaranteed. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because of his sacrifice for sin that was perfect, because his priesthood is perfect, because he was raised from the dead never to die again, folks, we need to be resolute in our profession of faith and our witness. We need to be bold. This Easter season, we need to be bold in our witness. J.D. Greer, our convention president, is challenging all of us right now across the convention. Who's your one? Who is the one person in your circles of influence that you need to be a missionary to, that you need to be praying for? That you need to be inviting to church, that you need to be sharing the gospel with. Maybe you need to be taking them out for coffee or dinner, getting to know them. Maybe it's somebody at work going to lunch with them, building a relationship with them. Doing everything that you can in that relationship so that you can share the gospel with them. And they see the reality of Jesus Christ in your own life. 
Who's your one? Who's your one? You need to be unwavering, unswerving in reaching out to them and being a witness. And folks, if they see how you handle trials and they see how you handle difficulties in your own life and they see you being faithful, that's not going to be a detriment to them. That'll be an asset to them because they will see the reality of your faith, how Jesus Christ is transforming you in the midst of your circumstances. Be bold in your witness. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Thirdly, meaningful church life is beneficial. Meaningful church life is beneficial. Look at what he says in verse 24 and 25. He says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I heard of a man who came back from church one Sunday and said to his wife, I will never go back to that church again. He said, I'll give you three reasons why I'm never going to go back again. Number one, nobody greeted me or welcomed me or spoke to me. Number two, half of the congregation acts as though they despise me. Thirdly, I have no friends at that church. She said, oh, Buster, I'm going to give you three reasons why you are going to continue to go. She said, number one, you promised me when we got married, you would go to church with me. Number two, our kids need to see you going, so you'll be a right example to them. And number three, you're the pastor. <laughs> Look closely at this let us command. The word consider that he uses is a mathematical term that had to do with careful calculation. He's saying you and I need to carefully calculate how we can spur one another on. And the term spur one another is a strong term. There's almost a violent nature to it. A violent confrontational nature to it. You and I are to carefully weigh and calculate how we can provoke one another to love and good deeds. Folks, in the Christian life, we are not saved by good deeds, but we are saved for good deeds. Good works are never the root of our salvation, but they are to be the fruit of our salvation. After talking about the, the fact that salvation is by grace through faith and that not, it's not a result of works, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10 that you have been created for good works. God saved you by His grace, but His plan is that you would be in church with other believers, that you would be helping one another to do what God 
God has called you to do. You see, folks, you and I have not been called to be Lone Ranger Christians. He's put us into a body. We are the body of Christ. And one is an eye. One's an ear. One's a mouthpiece. One's a hand. One's a foot. One has the gift of leadership. Another administration. Another teaching. Another showing mercy, another the gift of helps or service, so forth and so on. We have all these different parts in the body. And God has designed the church in such a way but that you put all the parts of the body together. Everybody present, everybody carrying out their spiritual gift. And you have a body that is complete and is able to function in that location as God has created it to function. It takes all the gifts, all of the members active and working together to have a healthy, functioning body of believers. Some of them were in danger of dropping out because of persecution. Today, in America at least, we drop out for other reasons. First, we drop out because the focus is on ourselves. But notice again, he says in the text here, our focus is to be on others, stirring others up. Our focus is not to be on ourselves. I can promise you something, and I can say this with 100% certainty. If you come to church and your focus is on yourself, you will never be satisfied. Our focus is to be on others. In our worship, our focus is to be on God. In our ministry, we are to focus on others. Self is never the focus. The only time I can find in the New Testament that self is to be the focus is that you and I examine ourselves to confess our sin. That's the only time I can find that we are to focus on self. And so instead of asking if you're getting what you need or what you want, you need to be asking yourself if you're giving others what they need. But anyway, they were dropping out because of persecution. Today in America, I think we drop out due to affluence and other things. We have so many divided interests. We have idols, plain and simple. Let's not kid ourselves. We allow the things of this world to diminish our love for God and the things of God. Folks, he's given us a command in this verse. But notice if you're not active, you can't carry out the command. Inactivity in your life participating in the body of Christ will keep you from obeying what God is telling you here. To disobey this verse right here. You don't have to go out and do anything bad. All you have to do is stay home. And you'll be in direct disobedience to this verse right here. If you're not active, how are you going to be encouraging others? How are you going to be focusing on others if you're not around others in the church? How are others going to be encouraging you if you're not around them so you can do that? 
You know, oftentimes when I ask a, a mature believer who it is, as they think back in their own Christian life, who it is that made a difference in their own Christian walk, they will point back to somebody, maybe a teacher they had in the youth group or a teacher in Sunday school, or maybe it was a deacon they had or a particular pastor they had. Somebody that they look back to and they'll tell me, that person made a huge difference in my life. I know who it is for me. The pastor I worked under before I came here, Ned Matthews. To this day, I still think of that man and and everything he invested in me and helped me with. He's somebody I can definitely look back to and say, he stirred me up to love and good deeds. He helped me. I hope you have somebody like that. One of the saddest testimonies to me in all of Scripture is what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4. He's in prison and he knows this time in his second imprisonment he's not going to make it out alive. He's going to die for his faith and indeed he, he was martyred. But he tells Timothy, he says, Timothy at my first defense nobody stood with me. Everybody deserted me. He said, now Luke is with me and Demas has turned back to the world. He loves the world more. How sad. Here's the Apostle Paul, the greatest theologian and church planner the the world has ever seen. And Paul says, Ed, my first defense of the gospel, nobody stood with me. Nobody lived out this verse in Paul's life, obviously. Folks, there are Christian brothers and sisters who need your encouragement. Are you there for them? You need to be in Sunday school. You need to be stirring up those around you to love and good deeds. You need to be in youth. You need to be in service. You need to attend more than once a month or on Sunday mornings. You need to get involved in the men's ministry. Get involved in the women's ministry. Get involved somewhere and be a blessing. Quit asking, what's in it for me? What's going on in church for me? Start asking, what do I need to give to others so I can build them up? And the more you reach out to others, you know what you're going to find? The more you reach out to others and build those relationships and build those friendships, the more you're going to find it coming right back to you full circle. It happens every time. And look at what he says here is the motivation behind it all. He says at the very end of verse 25, And all the more as you see the day approaching. Folks, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, it's going to be evaluation day. Remember that parable in Matthew 25 of the servants he gave the talents to? And in his absence, they were to use them. And after a long time, it says the master of those servants came back. And when he came back, 
He called those servants. And every one of them had to give an account of what he had given to them to do. They didn't have to give an account for what the next one beside them was given. But they did have to give an account for what God had given to them. And how had they used it? He's coming again. And so are you meeting together actively, encouraging your brothers and sisters in the Lord, receiving that encouragement for them, from them, that when He comes one day, we'll hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Do you avail yourself of times of worship? Both privately and corporately. I want you to remember this morning Christ has opened the way. Through his torn body, his crucified body, he paid the price for your sin. Through his resurrection and ascension, he's gone before you into God's presence. If you know Christ, you can go before God's throne. You can worship God and you can cast all your care upon him knowing that he cares for you. But if you don't know him, you don't have this privilege. But the good news is, you can know him. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. And as you come to him, you're coming to a Savior and a Lord, but you're also coming to a high priest who knows all about your weaknesses. He understands and he can help you. Don't let hardship in your life get in the way of being a steadfast witness for Christ. Don't let circumstances in life, don't let divided interests, don't let affluence, don't let whatever it is, don't let any of that. Maybe it's just complacency. Don't let any of that get in your way of being active in church and stirring up those around you. He's telling them right here because of everything he's, wrote, he's written to them thus far. They're to function as the body of Christ in a lost world. They're like a little island of believers in a lost world that's being tossed and it, it's in turmoil on the, the storms of life. But they're to be there for each other. A worshiping community, worshiping God, and a ministering community to one another, and a community giving light to a dark world. He's saying, essentially, be the church. Church is not just something, a name on a building or bricks and mortar. Church is who we are. Church is who we are. We're to be the church. Father, we thank you for these words that he gives to us. Words of great encouragement, great instruction. But Lord, words that are not simply to be listened to and then we go about our way. These are words to be obeyed. Words to be lived. 
God, I do pray that if there's even one here this morning who doesn't know Christ, help them to see they can't go before you and worship you. They have no entry into your presence. They, they are, they're like Adam and Eve who were driven from the garden and separated from your presence. They're locked out. They're shut out of your presence. But God, through Christ, He'll take them by the hand and He'll lead them into your presence. Help them to come to Christ today. Lord, help believers to recommit and resurrender this morning that they're going to be the church. They're going to be active and they're going to be focusing on you and focusing on others. Stirring one another up to love and good deeds. If there's anybody here that needs a church home, Lord, help them to understand that we welcome them here. We want to pray for them and encourage them and have them do that for us. We need each other. So speak to your people as we're yielded before you. In Christ's name I pray.